the FBI, which it is later revealed that it came from the offices of the FBI, intentionally tried to ruin, had a tape recording that allegedly was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. having an affair. Mm -hmm. And they delivered this information to his wife. Mm -hmm. Now this was... Hi, welcome to the newest episode of the Condide podcast. I'm David, the guy with the wet feet from walking the dogs in the rain this morning. <laughs> and once you've got wet feet, you've got wet feet all day, so I have. Well, you don't wear socks anymore, do you? No, and That's plus the fact I have holes in my shoes because like a good historian, they're worn out from constantly trampling and finding the truth. Oh, all my stuff's online. Oh, right. Oh, okay. So I would say my parents anyway. would probably be worn out more than anything else. So who are you? Mackenzie. Oh, that's good. The girl with the blue hair. Yeah. I'm eventually, I'm going to put pink in it this weekend, which changes it to be purple and gray. Fabulous. So. Fabulous. And then today. Yeah, is... today it's just the first of a two-parter. Yes. We can't really say a series when there's only two parts yeah. in it. So the two parts, and I've got to say a bit darker than what we've done before. In fact, quite a lot darker than we've done before. Yeah. This episode, Mackenzie's going to talk about... Psychological torture. So, it's not gruesome. So, if you are squeamish or anything, you're going to be fine. But this is your official trigger warning. That if you have... If you are triggered by, like, mental manipulation or psychological torture, or if you've been in um, a mentally abusive relationship, this is your trigger warning. That's what I'll be talking about. Okay, that's good. And for the next episode... I'm going to talk about executions. Yeah, that's going to be gruesome. Yes, it is. Probably not good for children. Definitely or not. Or squeamish Abs- adults. Absolutely not good for children. Not good for squeamish adults, which is slightly strange because I'm a squeamish adult. You're very squeamish. Yeah. Yeah. However, but we... Like, you can't even name body parts around David without no. him freaking out. Um, sitting in, as, as we found out, sitting in doctor's waiting rooms, not my favourite occupation don't like that yeah david went with me to the doctor he wasn't i was getting my blood drawn he wasn't even participating in anything and he was getting extremely freaked out yeah just sitting there yeah i don't do doctors so excuse a funny old one for me to do but we're, we're doing yeah, it anyway. it, was, it was an odd choice yeah. for you he texted me and he's like, oh, these are a lot more gruesome than I expected. To which I responded, I'm not sure what you expected. Talking about medieval execution, well, it's going to be pretty gruesome. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm our, today's episode, which is episode 35, will be on psychological torture. And so, like I said, trigger warning... Like I said, trigger warning, if you are triggered by any of the information I just said, you might want to skip this episode. So, with that, how do we define psychological torture? Luckily, the UN has has done this for us. Good. It reminds me very much of the forced labor class that we took with Dr. Alex Bulge. When we were trying to figure out the yes. the definition of it's it's very similar. Trying to figure out the definition of forced labor and slavery, Absolutely. it is just as difficult to do something like torture. I think historically, definitions generally are a very very difficult. Yes, because everybody has they their own 
I don't want to say opinion, but their own... Perhaps their own perception. Not perception, no? but motivations. Right, okay. The 1984 UN Convention Against Torture, this is all torture that I'm talking about real quick, mm-hmm. uh, defines torture as any act that consists of intentional infliction of severe pain or suffering whether physical or mental, mm-hmm. involving a public official carried out for a specific purpose. Right. So I guess what this is saying by the UN definition is if you're doing it just for fun, that doesn't count. Like if you're just a sadistic person, that doesn't count as torture. It has to be for a specific, it has to be the means for a specific end. That's a deeply disturbing concept. Go on. Well, I mean, history is Vlad the Impaler. But... I don't anticipate mine. Um, the expression, doing it just for fun? Uh, I would argue uh, the Marquis de Sade. That's, he's literally a sadist. That's where the word That's sadist, where the sadist came comes from. Yes, just carry um, on, carry so on. there are many acts that we would recognize as torture. Things like waterboarding, stretching on the rack. That's a little uh, medieval, I would yeah. say. Early yeah. Renaissance. Uh, forceful removal of teeth, etc. However, we may not recognize what we may not recognize as torture is things that leave no lasting physical scars. Mm-hmm. Some examples of non-physical methods include prolonged sleep deprivation, total sensory deprivation, or having to witness the torture of a family member or friend, mm-hmm. whether that torture be physical or mental. Um, today, rather than focus on the gruesome details of physical torture, as I've already said, I'm going to be focusing on psychological torture, which I feel is less clear and less acknowledged. Mm. I think a lot of governments and the general public don't see psychological torture as quote unquote real torture. Yeah. Like, I, I think, think if you would talk to if you would talk to the general public about their government doing sleep deprivation or sensory deprivation, they would be less angry about that than if you said that they were forcefully removing teeth or something like that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So I'm going to be talking about the types of... Okay, so now I'm going to talk about like just the general types of psychological torture. So like I said, non-physical methods of torture include sleep deprivation, solitary confinement, Mm -hmm. which is interesting, um, fear and humiliation or severe sexual or cultural humiliations and the use of threats or phobias to induce fear of death that kind of reminds me of the book 1984, Room mm-hmm. 101, um, right. and sens- sensory deprivation. Uh, for those of you that don't know, 1984 is a book by George Orwell, but the whole thing is like the main character is afraid of rats, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And then he he's like terrified of rats, and that's the thing that they use to torture him. Is rats? Mm-hmm. I think he like they like lock his face in a box with rats. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. That would that that's a lot more than psychological. I feel yeah, that's like pretty, that's pretty physical. That one isn't it? It's long time since I read the book, but yeah. Yeah. Um, some examples of the, these methods, according to the U.S. Department of State, include public nakedness for our Game of Thrones fans in the audience. The iconic shame scene would be one example of this. Um, being held in cells in which they are neither allowed to stand upright or lie down fully, so they're kind of like crouched over, mm-hmm. and they would be kept like that for weeks, and then being force-fed is another example. Mm-hmm. So these are many examples from... These examples are, in fact, from the U.S. detention of foreign prisoners during the war on terror. Right. The U.S. government, like many other governments, which it condemns, has a long history of using torture techniques against foreign and domestic 
threats. Mm -hmm. So that is what the rest of my piece is going to be talking about. All of these things that are used by the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be talking about the CIA and the FBI. I'll be talking about the FBI later. I'll get into that. I'll be mentioning Martin Luther King. Um, But first I'm going to talk about the CIA. So this is an article. This is all taken for my part on the CIA. It's all taken from an article from Salon Magazine, which was written by Alfred W. McCoy of the University of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. He's a political and historical anal- an- analyst. So in this article, he basically tracks the long history of the CIA's involvement in torturing domestic and foreign individuals. Mm-hmm. So I only say that because some of this happened to U.S. citizens and some of it was on U.S. grounds against foreign Na- foreign nationals? Yeah, foreign yeah, nationals. Yeah, foreign nationals. Um, so it all starts in the Cold War, as I'm sure... Lots of stuff starts yes. in the Cold War. There's a lot of things that um, can be traced back to the Cold War, and it's still looming over us I, today. Yeah, I feel, I feel probably even just slightly before the Cold War, probably stuff went on in the Second World War. Mm-hmm. It, it's perhaps um, a nation under stress... Extreme stress, um, calls for extreme um, solutions. Actions. actions, actions is a better way. Um, so yeah, okay. So uh, early in the Cold War, panicked that the Soviets had somehow cracked the human code or the code on human consciousness, the CIA mounted what they called a special interrogation program. It's never good. If you think I'll be talking later about enhanced interrogation techniques. These are all euphemisms for yeah. torture. Yeah, um, special and enhanced, not good it's words. It's never good. No. If you're talking, if the if the government uses the words special or enhanced, you should automatically yeah. be weary of that. Yeah. Um. So the working hypothesis of that of the special interrogation program was that medical science, particularly psychiatry and psychotherapy could be used to control the mind or will of an individual, such as techniques as drugs, um, hypnosis, electric shock, or neurosurgery. Okay. So these are the kind of things where they're thinking, if we... I'm, it really is representative to me of the concern about spying and trying to create spies, people that you can... Sleeper agents, that's the thing I'm thinking of. Okay. Is trying to create sleeper agents. Um, All of these methods were tested by the CIA in the 1950s and 60s, and none of them proved successful for breaking potential enemies or obtaining reliable information. Beyond these ultimately unsuccessful methods, however, the agency also explored the behavioral approach of cracking the code. In 1951, in collaboration with British and Canadian defense scientists, the agency encouraged academic research into methods of psychological coercion. This is not good. I think this is objectively not a good thing. Because what they're trying to do, basically, is psychologically torture people into giving confessions. Or controlling them. Uh, Yeah, controlling them. I think that their defense, not that it's not my defense of them, but it'd be their defense of themselves. It'd be their uh, motivations and explanations. Yeah, their motivations and explanations would be along the lines of, we are facing... um, Imminent threat. A determined enemy. Um, a, a fearsome enemy, an imminent threat. We need to use anything at our disposal. 
That would be their justification for doing it. There is the US concept of like, yeah, it clear, clear and present danger, danger. Yeah. allows pretty much anything. Yeah. It gives the president, if he cl- if he claims clear and present danger, it gives the president nearly the power to do anything. Right. But so also is he the controller of the armed forces. Theoretically, yeah. d- before you declare war, you have to get Congress approval. But I don't think that's happened since like the 1990s. Right. Where he, the president has actually sought congressional approval. Mm. That's beside the point. I'm going on a different yeah, scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is important to note that none of the things I ha- I say happened within the last 10 years. No. Because we have a sort of, what is it called, a moratorium mm. on things that occur. So 2008, I think, because he wrote this article right after Obama was elected. Right. Talking about the what the Bush presidency did. So, um, within months, the agency defined the aims of its top-secret program, codenamed Project Artichoke. Which really seems like a very, like, chill name for something so nefarious. Although you wouldn't name it, like, I, I was Project say, Spooky. <laughs> you're, not going to, you're not going to name it Project Mind Control or something like this. You See, what if you did, though? If you named it Project Mind Control, people are like, oh, well, they're probably not doing Mind Control. Because they wouldn't <laughs> name it that. <laughs> yeah, but probably. Um, so, as the... De- which, uh, oh, define the aims of Project Artichoke as the development of any method by which we can get information from a person against his will or without his knowledge. Right. Which is an interesting concept of without his knowledge. I think that's one of those interesting ideas where maybe if you, like, hypnotize someone that you, they wouldn't know. Yeah. You take that slightly... It, it doesn't involve torture. During the, the Second World War... The British tend to he- tended to hold high-ranking German prisoners together, and they were in rooms with listening devices, and they mm, just listened. Yeah. And they were they were very open. That you know, if only we could do so and so, well, well, so and so won't let us. And they they gave a huge amount of information, without their knowledge, not not tortured. In fact, the opposite. They were given nice wines and nice food and encouraged to. I think um, that's a, relax. I want to say. Um... The Persian king Darius did something similar, and this happened a lot during the Persian Wars and their various expansions, is they would host large parties and invite the opposing um, the opposing side, and then they would get them all drunk, and mm. then they would be incapable, basically. You treat them really well, they yeah. drink too much, and then you can do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. When they wake up, you control their house. Yeah. It's like, aha, we're here. Um, so the secret research produced two discoveries central to the CIA's most recent psychological paradigm. In classified experiments, famed Canadian psychologist Donald Hebb, H-E-B-B, found that he could induce a state akin to drug-induced hallucinations and psychosis in just 48 hours without drugs, hypnosis, or electric shock treatment. Right. So this is... It's with behavioral techniques. Right. So I would imagine there's a lot of things... Oh, right here. It goes on. It goes good, on. Good, 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 good. Uh, instead, for two days, student volunteers at McGill University simply sat in a comfortable cubicle, deprived of all sensory stimulation by goggles, gloves, and earmuffs. It scared the hell out of us, Hebb said later, to see how completely dependent the mind is on a close connection with the ordinary sensory environment and how organized, disorganized it can be to be cut off from that support. So all they did is, is they did this in an experiment with students, mm. was they just put blackout goggles, gloves, and earmuffs on them. Right. And they did that for 48 hours, 
And within that time period, the people have become so confused and so frightened because their brain literally doesn't understand how to function anymore. And it gets so confused that they were able to do whatever they wanted with them. Which is very... This also reminds me of another... There's another psychologist in America who did like a prison experiment where they used basically psychological torture. They played an audio recording. They said, okay, you have to, if you want to get information out of this prisoner, they would have one person be the guard and one person be the prisoner. You want to get information out of this prisoner, you have to electric shock them. And then they would play audio recordings of the person screaming. Oh, right. And they would continue. A lot of times they would go all the way up to like lethal because they were given the power and they felt that they had necessary. This is like one of the things that in entry level psychology courses they tell you about ethical experiments yeah this is like one of the times i think it was during this experiment that people thought hmm it's perhaps not ethical if we do things like this to human beings but you know foreign and domestic threats is a different thing so in 1963 the cia distilled its decade of research into a curiously named kubark c-u-b-a-r-k right or k K-U-V-A-R-K, uh, Counterintelligence Interrogation Manual. Right. That's not good. That's already bad. It is already bad, yes. Which stated de- definitively that sensory deprivation was, enough, was effective because it, it made the regressed subject view the interrogator as a father figure, strengthening the subject's tendencies toward compliance. So when you rob them of all of their sensory, the only thing that they can rely on then is their interrogator. So, to, to be fed, to be bathed, stuff like that. So, redef- refined through the years of practice on actual human beings, the CIA's psychological paradigm now relies on a mixture of sensory overload and sensory deprivation be, uh, via seemingly banal procedures. So, they would have the extreme application of heat and cold, light and dark, noise and silence, feast and famine all meant to attack the six essential sensory pathways in a human mind. So what they did, I think they, I, I don't talk about this later, but during the war on terror, what they would do is like refuse to turn off the lights ever. Mm. So they would, in that is part, partially sleep deprivation, but I think a human could probably learn to sleep during com- complete and total light. I could sleep complete and total exactly. light. Exactly. But, me. and then they would go complete and total darkness. So they right. would switch back and forth. So as soon as your brain got used to one, mm. or they would play extremely loud music. Extremely loud rock music is a, For is like a 24 one. hours straight. Yeah. And then go complete and utter silence. I could sleep through that as well. But your brain probably couldn't handle switching back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You'd just get used you to something. You in our house. <laughs> <laughs> this is the story of my life. <laughs> Um, So, in 1994, with the Cold War over, Washington now ratifies the UN Convention Against Torture. Good. So, now that they no longer need it, the U.S. government is happy to ratify the UN Convention Against Torture, seemingly resolving the tension between its anti-torture policies and its its torture practices. Right. Yet, there's an asterisk. I'm, I'm not surprised. It's not to say terms and conditions apply, does it? Yeah, it does. Oh, uh, does it? I yeah. it might. Uh, President Clinton sent this to sent this convention to Congress. He included four no, little-noticed diplomatic reservations drafted six years before by the Reagan administration and focused on just one word in those printed 26 pages. Mental. 
So the asterisk is, does not apply to psychological torture. Which is interesting because a lot of people, when they view, they view this as something in the U.S. as extremely reliant upon party lines. Where it's the Republicans, you see Bush, Reagan, those types of people are usually demonized. But while Reagan wrote these conventions, it's the Clinton administration that pushed them forward. Mm -hmm. So this is not a party thing. This is a U.S. government thing. These reservations narrowed just for the United States. The definition of mental torture to include four acts. The infliction of physical pain, the use of drugs, death threats, or threats to harm another. Excluded from this were methods such as sleep deprivation, sensory deprivation, and self-inflicted pain. The very techniques that the CIA had propagated in the past 40 years. This definition was reproduced verbatim in Section 2340 of the U.S. Federal Code and later the War War Crimes Act of 1996. So through this legal process, Washington managed to agree via a U.N. convention to ban physical abuse while also exempting the CIA from using psychological abuse. Mm -hmm. The Bush administration officially allowed the CIA to use 10 enhanced interrogation techniques, as I said earlier, never good, designed by agency psychologists, including waterboarding. This is the use of cold water to block the breathing triggers in the mammalian diving reflex, hardwired in every human brain, thus inducing an uncontrollable terror of impending death. Mm. So what they're, they're not drowning them, but they're yeah. making them feel like they're feel drowning. Like they're drowning. Finally, while many of these horrifying techniques were used in the hands of the CIA, the FBI also performed similar Mm -hmm. techniques on what we would call domestic threats. So how how does, I don't know if your research covered this, how does this information get out, what they get up to? Because I'm I'm sort of thinking as we're talking, I, I do keep an eye on these things, and I don't especially know... Probably like what the British intelligence services get up to. I'm, I'm not, Snowden. I'm not people naive. like that. Yeah, I'm not naive. I'm not thinking that they don't get up to this sort of stuff. But my theory is, it's along the lines of: Do the Americans say that you do this sort of stuff to frighten people, and we we don't say what we do equally to frighten people? Do you, do you, do you have any take on that? Well, a lot of this information is. Gained through whistleblowing. Right. Okay. Like, the information from the FBI, Martin Luther King Jr. thing, which I will get into after our break, was gained from people breaking into the FBI's offices. Right. And grabbing files and then giving those files out to the public. Right. That's how that information, the information that I'll be talking about after our break, Mm. got out. Okay. And so, also, you think about Edward Snowden and how he released all this information. Mm -hmm. Uh, Julian Assange is... WikiLeaks. I think he's the founder yeah. of WikiLeaks. So that's how all this information kind of gets out. This is a good time for us to take a break. Yep. And um, we'll do a little bit of an ad, I guess. And we will come back and then I'll be talking about the FBI and Martin Luther King Jr. Hi, David. Hi, Mackenzie. So, starting today... People can sign up for our newsletter. It's a monthly newsletter, so we won't spam your mailboxes. It'll happen on the first of the month. 
So you have between now and October 1st to sign up for the first one. Yep. And on October 1st, we're going to start sending out a monthly newsletter that includes um, sneak peek at what our next episodes are going to be about, some yep. look backs at our favorite episodes in the past, yep. general information, all sorts of good things. Yeah. Maybe a prize giveaway. A prize giveaway? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. That'd be good. So if people sign up, they can sign up on our website. Yep which is hysterino.com and they all have to do is go to the candide page right. and the most recent blog post which has the link to our incan website or incan podcast okay. has the uh little newsletter thing fly over an advert for it yeah all what? you have to do is put in your name your and your email yeah that's cool one one thing that we'll personally guarantee both of us will personally guarantee if you give us your email address we will not give it to anybody else oh yeah it says, not, it, it says that not. on the thing it. well, well let's yes we are not giving that. out no. your email address or your person even your name even your to name. anyone or anything no we do not we would we do we don't even have advertisers no. and even if we did we wouldn't, we wouldn't give them out because there's one that's my a pet hate of mine that you give somebody an email address in all innocence sort of thing, and then you start getting um, spam. spam stuff. Yeah, it's um, really irritating. All you'll get, if you give us your email address, I absolutely promise you that all you'll get is the newsletter. On the first of the month. On the first of the month. Not on the 15th of the nope. month, not twice a month, not nope. three times a month, just the first, first of the month. month. Unless, at a later time, you want to hear more newsletters, and yep. then if we get some, in, some feedback on that, we're more than willing to do more frequent newsletters. Or, or maybe, and it might not even be a newsletter, but if we get some sort of really exciting news yes. to tell you. Yes. That we've, you know, we've um, organised an interview with somebody. Yes. And, you know, we might just pop that out as a flash thing and say, look, this is coming up. But once a month, we're not going to spam you. No. So that'd be great. You can go on hysterino.com, H-E-S-T-E-R-N-O.com. And we're back. We are back. We're back with the, the second part of a rather disturbing story. Um, yes. Yeah. And it's going to get worse, I think. Um, the only reason it doesn't get worse is because it's unsuccessful. Okay. Were it successful, it would, ab it would absolutely be getting worse. Yeah. But luckily, the person that they try, that the FBI tried to manipulate was stronger than them. Well, I, we, we don't discuss these um, between us beforehand so that our reactions are, um, are genuine. Mm -hmm. um, but you mentioned what's in the mm -hmm. second part of, of this um, yesterday evening um, on Skype, and I was shocked. Mm -hmm. I was genuinely surprised and genuinely shocked by this. So, um, yeah. I'm sure everybody... Uh, it's a little late in the podcast now, but I'm sure... Both everybody listening to this has noticed our change in tone of how seriously we take these things. Absolutely. We were trying very hard not to be flippant or yeah. disrespectful about anything. So that's why we're a little bit more uh, somber yeah. in tone today. Yeah. So with that in mind, the FBI and Martin Luther King Jr. Okay. Doctor, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., so Beverly, this information comes from Beverly Gage of Yale University, and she wrote this piece separately, and then it was featured in the New York Times magazine. Okay. So she analyzed the FBI letter to Martin Luther G King Jr. 
in 2014 is when she did this. So the letter was attached to a tape recording allegedly containing um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s sexual indiscretions and was delivered to his wife, Coretta Scott King, on the 21st of November, 1964. The FBI, which it is later revealed that it came from the offices of the FBI, intentionally tried to ruin, had a tape recording that allegedly was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. having an affair. Mm -hmm. And they delivered this information to his wife. Mm -hmm. Now, this was intentionally supposed to be stopping... One of the things that they believe as a result of this was it was to stop Martin Luther King Jr. from accepting the Nobel Prize. However, he did not receive any of this information until after the event, so they sent it too late. But that's the importance of what... It's not just the letter that is the problem. It also comes with the tape recording. To which I say, blackmail intends to instill fear in the victim, fear of losing their life, their social status, or their reputation and or their reputation. And it is because of this that it is considered a method of psychological torture. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, when you think about blackmail, it's something that's very frequently cited in the media as being something that's not very serious. But if you speak to the person who is being blackmailed, I think that they would think very, very differently. They built this career. Um, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., was changing the face of the U.S. in the civil rights movement. I think part of his attraction was that he was beyond reproach. Here was a man with no skeletons in the closet, as it were, Mm -hmm. with no past, Mm -hmm. with nothing that people could point a finger at as, ah, but you did, you know, no, I didn't. And so that's an important part, I think, of his, his... um, persona. It is very important to note that the FBI during this time period was led by none other than J. Edgar Hoover, ah. who has since since his retirement death, I'm not sure, I don't care enough about J. Edgar Hoover to do any research into his life. I don't think he deserves it, no. to say the least. Um, but since his he has fallen out of the directorship of the FBI many years ago. His, a lot of the information on his practices have come out. And they are, to be very, very minimizing of this, unsavory to say the least. Uh, yes. Including this instance. So when uh, MLK received this letter nearly 50 years ago, he quietly informed friends and family that someone wanted him to kill himself. And he thought he knew who that was. Despite its half-baked prose, self-conscious amateurism, and attempts at misdirection, King was certain that the letter had come from the FBI. Its infamous director, J. Edgar Hoover, made no secret of his desire to see King discredited. A little more than a decade later, the Senate's Church Committee on Intelligence Overreach confirmed King's suspicion. So this is not something that is a conspiracy theory or um, perhaps like a misdirection. This is actually... The FBI was attempting to get Martin Luther King Jr. to end his own life Mm -hmm. or end his career. It's very unclear, 
but it's not good intentions, no. to say the least. The word evil makes six appearances in the text, beginning with an accusation, you are a colossal fraud and evil, vicious one at that. The paragraphs that follow, the recipients of alleged lovers get the worst of it. They are described as filthy, dirty, evil companions and evil playmates, all which engaged in dirt, filth, evil, moronic talk. The effect is one is at once grotesque and hypnotic, an obsessive's account of the carnal rage and personal, personal betrayal. What incredible evilness, the letter proclaims, listing off... Oh, this is not family-friendly. Oh, okay. I'll just leave it as listing off his various sexual indiscretions. Okay. Um, near the end, it circles back to its initial target, denouncing King as an evil, abnormal, beast-like creature. Mm. The unnamed author suggests having an in- intimate knowledge of King's marital indiscretions, um, identifying one possible lover by name and claiming to have specific evidence about others. Another passage hints at the audio tape which accompanied the letter, and apparently a record which was apparently a recording of the immoral conduct in action. Um, it says a significant amount of further disgusting things toward King. And it ends in the vague paragraph saying, you only have one thing left to do for you. You know what that is and you know what you should do. Right. Whatever. The, it is important to note that Coretta Scott King was the one who opened this package. Listen to the tape recording because she thought it was one of her husband's speeches, but she couldn't make out anything that was happening on it. So not only was this a horrific example of an attempt at psychological torture, Mm. but it wasn't wasn't a competent one at that. No, it sounds like it sounds very amateurish. Uh, Whatever the FBI hoped King would do, they preferred it to happen before the Nobel Prize ceremony, which was scheduled for mid-December. But King did not even see the package until after his trip to Oslo. So he was already gone by the time his wife had received it. She turned the content, Coretta, turned the contents over to King, who assembled a group of confidants to sort out the response. As King's closest friends and associates were called, everyone immediately agreed that the letter could be the work of only one institution, Hoover's FBI. So now we're returning back to where we had started, where he assembled all of his friends Mm -hmm. and said, I'm 90 to 100% sure that the FBI is trying to take me down. Mm -hmm. What do we do? Um, so this is just one example. It's just, this, listening to that, and listening to all that, what immediately came to my mind are internet trolls, mm-hmm. um, Facebook and Twitter mm-hmm. trolls, who do similar mm-hmm. things. They, they, they will make wild accusations mm-hmm. without any basis. Yeah, you um, have, there's a lot of problems with, I think Twitter lately has been in the news, about they're not censoring these accounts, mm. despite the fact that a lot of these accounts are committing acts which are, at a minimum, constituted as bullying. Yeah. But goes to high, high as to say psychological torture. And can be, and can be um, what's the term? You, you know the best, is it bots? The, oh, bots, yeah. The, the, it's just a computer that's been programmed that's to do right, something like that. To do something like this. So, you know, that, this to me sounds similar what we see now. Mm-hmm. Just to wrap up, 
this letter was obviously unsuccessful. Of course. Um, but it's very clear what the repercussions were intended. And how much of a threat they saw Martin Luther King Jr.'s overturning of the long history of black oppression in the United mm-hmm. States. How much the U.S. government saw that as a threat. The current FBI director, and by current I mean current in 2014... Okay. James Comey kept a copy of King's wiretap of the King wiretap request on his desk as a reminder of the bureau's capacity to do wrong. But I say, what of our government now? James Comey is no longer the FBI director as of May 2017, and I think it is important that we as humans recognize our capacity for evil and wrongdoing, and this includes actions performed by those we see as the quote-unquote good guys. Yeah. And that is psychological torture. Because you don't um, defeat the bad guys by making yourself as bad as they are. Um, I think there's also the phrase, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Yeah. As As recent news in the past 10 years have demonstrated, there are quite a few people who were held at Guantanamo Bay as terrorists during the war on terror that were completely innocent. Yeah. And just in the wrong place at the wrong time to... There's at least one British citizen. To minimize that as much as physically possible. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time. They were captured by the U.S. government, kidnapped, and then tortured. And they have very little... um, I'm not sure how to say this. There's very little action that they can do mm-hmm. to recoup their loss, mm-hmm. including the um, mental and physical loss. Mm-hmm. That doesn't even include what it's like to be held against your will for many years for and what that would years. do to your family yep. and your career and yep. your life. Yep. And so I think it's really important that we end this episode by recognizing this. Of course. Of course. And that is episode 35, Psychological Torture. Thank you. Join us next time for episode 36 on execution. It's no less dark, I'm afraid. It's going to be gruesome. Mm -hmm. But we'll see if we can find maybe a little bit of lightness somewhere in there. There's lightness at the end. Oh, good. There's a bit of lightness at the end. And we thank you for tuning in. Absolutely. Um, Subscribe to our newsletter if you... If you would like. We'd love you to. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can subscribe to our blog's RSS feed on our website. And we're also on SoundCloud. And I really like the concept of us sitting in your living room with you or sitting on the train as you go to Mm -hmm. work or in the gym as you work out. And, you know, that you're kind enough. And we do think you're kind to listen to our ramblings every few days Mm -hmm. we love it so we will see you for episode 36 and until then maybe be kind to one another yeah so bye bye